You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and joining me for episode 268 of the show is my regular co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster, and Bob Osgood, also of Over the Monster. Gentlemen, how are we doing? We have a full house here, back together. Keaton, let's start with you. You haven't been home in like a month or something, so, and you're yeah. still not home. So where are, you, where are you coming to us from at this point? Coming to you live from Seattle, Washington, where I've been for the past month uh, doing stuff from a real job, and uh, next week I'm going to be in the Netherlands, and then finally, after five weeks, I will be home for one week, and then I come back. Nice. That, that is pretty cool. Um, both of those places sound like good places to go. Are you going to be um, getting any... Uh, cutting edge semiconductors and sending them to China when you're in the Netherlands? Uh, I hadn't thought about it, but uh, maybe I should. Okay. All right. Well, don't tell anybody (laughs) about it if you do. Um, Bob, what's up with you, man? Nothing. I don't have anything remotely that interesting. I have just been in my house for the last five weeks while Keaton is heading to the Netherlands and all that. So I I got, I can't compare to that, man. I can't follow (laughs) up that. (laughs) Keaton, will you um, will you be wearing any uh, Aryan Robin jerseys where while you're in the Netherlands? Or Rude Van Nistelrooy? Guys, you don't know any like current players? No. No. <sighs> so, I mean, Robin being uh, a Bayern Munich fan, totally on board with that. Uh, but yeah, maybe uh, maybe somebody who like played for them this decade yeah no you gotta admit that rude van nistelrooy is one <laughs> of the great sweetest names in soccer <laughs> yeah. history yeah, I, I will admit. <laughs> all right well let's get to some baseball here uh we have a full show we haven't come to you guys in about three weeks so we've got a lot to talk about we're going to be breaking down how the red Sox are going to deploy their lineup versus right-handed pitchers versus left-handed pitchers uh getting into kind of all the possibilities Uh, We'll talk about the rotation, who's going to be the odd man out. And then we're going to get to a couple of the transactions uh, that were made recently and uh, specifically talking about the bullpen. And finally, we'll close out the show with uh, the great Chad Jennings and Eno Saris article about the volatility of the Red Sox and get to some listener questions. So let's dive right into it. Um, You know, I've been trying to piece together how this lineup is going to work uh, this year because it's it doesn't feel all that complete it feels like it's a couple pieces away it feels a little imperfect um, certainly feels volatile which we will get to but it's a little bit easier to look at how uh, this lineup will be deployed 
against right-handed pitchers, but I think we should start with the hitters who I expect to break camp with the team. So this year, the Red Sox will be required to have 13 hitters and 13 pitchers um, to start the season. And I believe that the 13 hitters will be Yoshi, Kike, Devers, Turner, Verdugo, Duvall, Casas, Maguire, Alfaro I have making the team, Bobby Dahlbeck, Christian Arroyo, Rob Snyder, and Rymel Tapia. Um, and I have Story and Mondesi starting the year on the IL. Let's start with that point. Um, you know, Bob, do you think that's the right breakdown of these guys uh, to begin the year? Of the current roster, yes. I still, for whatever reason, think that there's one more signing coming. Um, you know, Elvis Andrus still just kind of is in the back of my mind there, and they have enough uh, under the tax that I feel like they can do that. But of the current roster, yeah, that makes sense. I, you know, I think the recent news that Mondesi may or may not be available for opening day, which is shocking to me. Um, yeah, I think I think Tapia makes sense for that last spot. Um, and if if they do bring somebody in, I could see Bobby Dahlback traded or in the minors to start the season. But I think the roster breakdown is accurate. All right, Keaton, how about you? Yeah, I agree. I think that is pretty much the accurate breakdown. It still leaves some holes there up the middle, though, um, which is frustrating to, to look at it, but I, just, I, don't, I don't see anything better. So I think, I think you pretty much nailed it there. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and it's it's far from perfect, as you guys both uh, mentioned. It, it just feels like they are one one or two moves away from making this a little bit more of an ideal roster from a fit perspective. But the way that I see this deploying against right-handed pitchers is as follows. Yoshida leading off, uh, playing left field. Justin Turner batting second as the DH, going a little uh, lefty-righty there, followed by another lefty, Rafael Devers. Hitting cleanup, playing third base, uh, or I should say hitting in the three spot, and then Duval hitting cleanup in center field, uh, righty. Then I have Casas at first, Verdugo in right field, Kike at shortstop, Arroyo at second base, and Reese McGuire as the catcher. Um, Reese has pretty tremendous platoon splits in favor of uh, going against righties uh, there, and... Um, Casas as well is one of those guys that's had some pretty significant splits um, versus right-handed pitching in his time in the minors. It's been something that has been mentioned on this show quite a bit, um, certainly by our listeners, and it's something that, you know, it's hard to ignore. Like looking at last year, um, he had a 945 OPS in the minors uh, versus righties and a 619 OPS uh, versus lefties. So I could see, especially early on this year, um, you know, Casas getting a lot of run uh, versus righties and maybe getting a, a rest or, you know, just simply getting benched against left-handed hitters. Um, let's start with you, Bob. What do you think about that lineup, and would you change anything about that versus right-handed pitchers? So I, I 
here's what I had against right-handers, and it kind of leads into it, it almost works backwards from the left-handers because I think that there are a lot of platoon splits against lefties where you're wanting going to want to get certain players into the lineup. And I also had Mondesi kind of just looking at if Mondesi's on the team for the majority of the season, that's more what I'm looking at. So I had Maguire at catcher, Cassis at first, Enrique Hernandez at second, and Mondesi at short, which I kind of want to talk about and just see what you guys think is the best fit in the middle with what they have right now. Um, Devers at third, Yoshida in left, uh, Duvall in center, Verdugo in right, and Turner at DH. So I kind of just did it position by position. And I had, I didn't have Turner hitting second. Um, I kind of would rather have him in the four or five range to knock in some runs. So I had more of like a Yoshida, Kike, one, two, depending on who's comfortable hitting leadoff. <laughs> if Yoshida's going to be willing to do that. You know, Devers third, and maybe Duvall or Turner four five, Cass is six. Um, so I don't think we were that far off. I just had Mondesi in there, but I guess I'd get both of your opinion. You know, if everybody is healthy, is Mondesi the shortstop and Enrique is the second baseman because they have it reversed on roster resource, and you know, Mondesi hadn't really played. Um, any second base since 2018. He's mostly been a shortstop when he's played, and he's been a good one. He had four outs above average in 2022. He was four outs above average in 2021, where he was plus two at short and plus two at third. He was three outs above average in 2020. Like, I think he's the better shortstop. Is How do you think that that fits in? Because just like on paper, it makes more sense, and Enrique played second base most recently for this team two years ago. It's a good question. Um, I, my personal opinion and why I had Kike at shortstop against righties and I didn't have uh, Mondesi playing is, is just simply the injury concerns. Um, you know, we know how little Mondesi has played over the last few seasons. Yep. Um, and I, I think that because of that, Kike is going to need to be pretty much an everyday guy, whether he's in the infield or the outfield. Um, and I think that a lot of those reps are going to come at shortstop because of the amount that they're going to be reliant on playing Arroyo. And I think they prefer Kike at shortstop. So I just think that because of the current construction on the roster, um, Kike is going to end up having to get a lot more time uh, at shortstop uh, you know, throughout the year. And, um, you know, realistically, you could look at this lineup and say that aside from Mondesi, no one else is really like a true shortstop uh, on the team. I mean, even Arroyo, who, a guy who's passable at the position, um, isn't really a shortstop. Right. So that seems really important. Yeah, no, it's definitely like one of the glaring weaknesses of this roster is there's just there's nobody who can clearly play um, all of the middle infield positions and certainly not passable shortstop, which is why, you know, we've all been clamoring for months for them to sign, you know, Andrews or Iglesias because right now it's dangerously thin at shortstop. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, you're both right because yeah, I think – to start the season, Jake is going to be right because obviously you're not going to have Mondesi available. And you're not putting Arroyo 
at short. So Kike Hernandez has got to play that position. But I think, you know, for the 50 games or so that Mondesi is going to be healthy, he's a better shortstop, so he's got to play there. So I think you're both right. Yeah. I think we might be both right as well. Um, I'm, I'm interested about the uh, the thing about that you, that you had, Bob, with Kike being so high up in the lineup versus right-handed pitchers because that's one of the things that stood out to me when I was looking at Kike's numbers. And, you know, I wanted to go back to 2021 when Kike had a, a pretty good season. And, and over the course of Kike's career, he's been better versus lefties. But I think that that year kind of highlighted it. He had a 126 WRC plus against lefties, 98 versus righties. Um, I see him as being more of a bottom of the order hitter against righties and more of a top of the order guy uh, against lefties. Um, And so I'd push guys up like Yoshida, you know, Turner, um, Duvall, you know, some of the other guys like that, especially I'm comfortable with Casas being within the top four or five, uh, well, probably I should say five or six guys um, there. I'm just curious how you think about Kike versus right-handed pitchers. Yeah, it might be crazy, but with what I saw from Ref Snyder, I feel like he should play against every lefty. Um, oh, I agree with you. Hit 359 against lefties in almost the same sample as how many lefties he faced uh, to how many righties. So... I don't know. Is Enrique hitting at the bottom of the lineup all the time? Like I would put Ref Snyder in that second spot just because of a, a lack of um, you know on base hitters at the top of the lineup, anyways. And there just seems to be a bat missing who <clears throat> went to San Diego. But uh, like <laughs> I, I just think there's a lot of guys who kind of mash lefties. Like Arroyo in his career hits 274 against lefties and 243 against righties, um, and Duvall. In his career, he's the same. You know, he's he, he mashed lefties a, a little more um, last year, but it's 230 versus 230 for his career. So he would probably be in about the same spot regardless. Um, so I don't know. I feel like Ref Snyder does, Arroyo does, um, and Enrique, as you mentioned, 259 in his career, 225 against righties. It, I don't know. It's It's a struggle to figure out who should be second there. Maybe it is Turner, but I just, I kind of would rather have Turner as a, an RBI bat hitting maybe fifth, um, fourth or fifth, but you could be right. Yeah. I mean, anybody could be right with this lineup. Honestly. I'm having so much trouble putting the puzzle <laughs> pieces together. If that's not apparent. What, what do you think, Keaton? I mean, do you think that, um, Kike should be more at the top or the bottom against Radies? Yeah, I think he should be more at the top, um, kind of regardless of handedness. He hit at the top of the order a lot with the Dodgers, too. Um, he was our leadoff guy when Mookie wasn't, and when Mookie was, a lot of the time he hit second. He actually has a 285 average uh, hitting second. I mean, he did hit, I mean, he was all over the place with the Dodgers, uh, both in the lineup and um, in the field a lot, but he did a decent enough sample size there hitting second and at the top um, that I think that is a more comfortable spot for him in the order so I think it makes more sense for him there yeah so I mean 
I agree with all those things um, that you guys are saying. But here's the thing that's tripping me up, is I think that with the money that you spent, Yoshi is going to be in either the leadoff spot or somewhere close to the middle of the order versus either handedness. And I think if you're looking for power versus righties, you know, Devers, Duvall, Casas seems like the no-brainer 3-4-5 to me against right-handers because even though Duvall has been better versus lefties over the course of his career, if we look back to that big 2021 that he had, um, he hit like 34 of his 38 home runs or something crazy like that against right-handed pitchers during that season. So recently, he's had most of his power against righties, and that's kind of what's got me thinking like, well, it was 32, 32 of his 38 home runs. Um, that's kind of got me thinking that, you know, throwing Duvall in there and like the cleanup spot, uh, giving a little bit of protection, maybe squeezing him between two guys with relatively high on base, you know, thinking that Yoshida can get on, Turner can get on, Devers can get on, Duvall can clean up with Casas behind him, who's going to give a professional at bat, like... I don't know. I just kind of like the idea of sandwiching a power guy in between. There. That's a pretty compelling argument, Jake. Yeah. I I got nothing. I think you might have a point. Um, <laughs> but I also think, like, with Kike, I think he's a, he's been here for a couple of years. I think that he's just kind of the player that he is, the confidence that he has. Um, he's going to want to hit the top of the lineup. He's going to want to play short play center and that's almost why i wonder if like he's at short there because he's gonna like talk cora into it or something like that like last year just being like i'm the center fielder nobody's taking this from me like i don't know i just um you know he's already been on shot he's he's already been on mlb network talking about how come october and november people are going to be talking about what a good job he's done at shortstop He's yeah. already dropping quotes. Right. So so that is the, <laughs> that is the reason why I was wondering whether it's just like he walked in and said, no, I'm playing short, so we're all set here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm fine with it. Keaton and I have talked a lot on this podcast about how much better a hitter Kike is when he's on the dirt, too. Yeah. So, you know, him playing there, and, and actually a, a, an article just went up on the site about that as well. I think it was Dan yeah. who wrote that piece, but... um. I mean, the splits are pretty ridiculous uh, with how much comf- more comfortable he is at the plate when he's playing on the dirt. So, you know, I think that you could get some pretty damn good results uh, from him as long as he's playing on the infield. All right, let's talk about lefties, though, because this is where I had a whole hell of a lot more trouble figuring out how to piece this thing together. Here's what I had versus left-handed pitching. I actually had your boy Kike. Uh, leading off playing center field uh, against lefties. Devers in the two spot as a third baseman. Turner in the three hole uh, as a first baseman. Yoshi is the cleanup hitter against lefties DHing. Followed by Rob Refsnyder in the five spot uh, as a left fielder. Duval uh, as a right fielder after him. Uh, Arroyo as the second baseman. Uh, Alfaro, Jorge Alfaro as the catcher. He's had significantly more power uh, versus lefties, so I could definitely see him getting that side of the platoon. And then 
Mondesi, if he's healthy at the bottom of the lineup as the shortstop versus lefties. And if not, I got to change things around. But <laughs> that's what I'm going with for, for, for right now um, is, is Mondesi kind of giving you the speed at the bottom of the order. Um, and, and I found that to be kind of an attractive way to look at this thing. Um, I guess if, if he's not in there, it gets a little bit more complicated for me. And um, probably... Who did, who did you have sitting out of Yoshida, Duvall, Verdugo, and Justin Turner? Verdugo. Okay. So you think yeah. that he's going to sit against lefties? I think he could sit against lefties. I think that this will be an opportunity for guys to get days off. I think that versus lefties is when they're going to get most of their guys' days off. Right. Um, because I think that they have so many options. Dahlbeck crushes lefties. Um, Duvall can play against lefties. Verdugo doesn't have huge platoon splits versus either, so he can get days off against them. Um I think they have kind of a lot of options, but I just don't think that they're going to, um, you know, sit Yoshi or any of the other, you know, big hitters that they're invested in versus versus lefties. So, and, and I, I need to get Ref Snyder's bat and Alfaro into that lineup versus lefties. Yeah. I, I think what you said at the end is what I agree with, that it'll be Ref Snyder for somebody and if we're talking about one game, maybe it's Verdugo, maybe it's Duvall, but then there's going to be other games where it might be, um, you know, someone else is playing first, as you said, and Cassis sits and maybe Dahlbeck is in, or Justin Turner plays first base and somebody else DHs. But I think that that's going to be the key difference, is that Ref Snyder is in, in the outfield for somebody, probably Duvall and Verdugo most frequently, um, and then, you know, spell everybody 5-10% of the time otherwise. Um, Arroyo playing second, um, you know, <laughs> so now I've gotten Rike over it short, right? So you can see my how indecisive I am about this because I don't want Arroyo playing um, playing short, So when, but I want Arroyo's bat in the lineup against a left-hander, so I would have him at second and Enrique at short, and then I had Mondesi out in that case. I don't know what the hell they're going to do, clearly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I like Alfaro in, as we talked about his splits last time at catcher. Um, and then I think Cassis will play maybe half the time against lefties, unless he's crushing them. Um, so I didn't do it in, in order. I kind of went more position-based. But, you know, those are the changes from right to left. I want to get Ref Snyder in. I want to get Arroyo in. And there will be times that, that Dahlbeck's in and Alfaro. I mean, you have to assume when they, when they are gonna give Turner a rest that it's gonna be against the lefty, um, just because they have so many more options uh, yeah. in that scenario. Because you know they can play Dahlbeck at first base, or they can play, you know, heck, maybe they give Devers a first base mitt to to move over there uh, to get a little bit less work at that time. I don't, I don't know exactly what they're gonna do at that position, but it just feels like there's so many more options um, for guys to sit against lefties. What do you think about how, how all this will shake out versus lefties, Keaton? I don't know. I think you guys did a pretty good job of trying to spell it out. The one thing that I know is I hate that it's a necessity that 
Rob Refsnyder has to be in the lineup. I just, it feels like we should have more depth, that that's, that's not where we should be. Like, we shouldn't be, when we're putting a lineup together, like, that was the first thing that Bob said before we were recording, was, Ref Snyder's got to play. That's, that's not a great feeling. No, yeah. but he was really good last year when he played. Like, he had a 146 sure. WRC+. plus. Sure. I'm not, like, excited about this team because we have Rob Ref Snyder, but (laughs) if he's on the roster, he's got to play against lefties if he was doing that until he's not doing that. Well, the thing is, he wasn't doing that for, like, a whole long time. This is true. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I mean, I know he was, and you're right, you got to ride it out. I just... I don't feel great about it, but I think you're right. And I don't like it. <laughs> this is what Rob Refsnyder's slash line was last year against lefties. 359, 411, with a 594 slug in a 177 WRC+. He was Mike Trout versus lefties last year. That's absurd. <laughs> put put that as the... Uh, there has His to be a Refsnyder-Mike Trout comparison is the heading of this, of this podcast. <laughs> We're, we're, we're basing our entire lineup on 73 play appearances. <laughs> that, this is what we've become. This is where we are. This For is what Heim Bloom has done to us, man. We've lost our minds. Yeah, <sighs> we really have. Hey, I mean, when the lineup is what it is, um, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, Dahlbeck, Dahlbeck is going to be able to give Turner and Yoshi a day off and or Yoshi and or Devers. So he can he can spell any of those guys. There's going to be some combination of Duval, Ref Snyder, Verdugo. Two of them will play. One will sit against lefties. Um, other than that, the big thing that stood out to me when I was doing this list against lefties was I was I kept wanting a really good center fielder who could play center field and be a platoon bat against lefties. Like, if we had that type of center fielder, I don't know who that is right now, but a, a guy who hits lefties and can play a serviceable center field, that seems like the missing piece to me in this whole lineup right now. And we said the same thing about shortstop. So how's up the middle looking for you? It's worse. not great. It's a little worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And thank you, Keaton, for kind of bringing us back down to – you know the the bigger picture here is that, you know, th- hey, we're talking about Rob Refsnyder, who's thirty two years old, who really didn't do a thing before last year, and had seventy plate appearances against lefties. So, you know, thank you for kind of you know grounding us a little bit here and realizing what this lineup is, who we're relying on, who we're getting excited about, and um, what the up the middle looks like. Yeah, it's kind of a. It's kind of shocking to have this little amount of depth up the middle. Like when you're when when you're relying on Adam Duvall as your de facto everyday center fielder, um, and your other guy who can play center field is your everyday shortstop. It's it's not great. It's no. definitely not great. Um, but we did get a listener question that I want to pivot to right now um, because we did get one about. Adam Duvall 
um, from Ari Zanger, and it says, "Is there enough merit to the anecdotal evidence that Braves fans uh, from Braves fans that Duvall's power gets completely sapped when he plays center field uh, to consider moving him to a corner?" And that's exactly what I did with Duvall against lefties, by the way. Uh, with Mondesi in the mix, Kike could potentially return to center field, therefore maximizing Duvall's potential as a hitter. So I wanted to look this up, and um, what I found was actually not very anecdotal at all. It was it was real. Um, as a center fielder in 101 plate appearances in his big year with the uh, Atlanta Braves, he slashed 217, 248, 433 to the tune of a 681 OPS or a 85 OPS plus uh, with just six home runs as a center fielder. When he was playing right field, he slugged 483. And when he was playing left field, a less de- demanding position, 497 uh, slug. So it certainly did sap his power when he was playing center field which is what we've seen also from Kike. It is a very demanding physical position. Yeah, I even went more basic than that, and I just looked up last year and just went up straight off homers. And 43 games in center, he only hit two. And 28 games in left, he hit eight. And 11 games in right, he matched the 43 that he hit (laughs) in center. 43 games he played in center with two. So, that's wild. That's a really, really massive swing. See, this is why I wanted Michael Taylor, man. A guy who can just glide out in center field. You, you need defensive first guys who are just, you, you don't worry about their hitting abilities. You got the other big bopper from the Royals. Uh, Michael Taylor or Michael A. Taylor? Michael A. Taylor. Yeah, huge distinction. Not not to be confused with Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> That's uh, so. That is crazy just to hear you guys spell that out. The difference there. Um, you know, I was thinking kind of infield versus outfield, or learning a position like I think a Andrew Vaughn or someone like that learning outfield when they're more comfortable at first base and doing that to a younger player sometimes can be tough because you can't really focus on. You know, you might be pressing at the plate because you're thinking about defense and the pressure that's on you in that. But the difference between center and a corner, I don't know, seems minuscule to me. Um, not, not in terms of, you know, like how many feet you run over the course of the game, but like, yeah, I mean, his legs are shot when he gets up to the plate after that, after a, catching one or two more fly balls a game. It's just that it's incredible that there would be that much of a disparity um, and how about signing Elvis Andrews to play short and moving Kike to center and, you know, Duvall can play a corner then. That's fine. You know what it really feels like, guys, is, is that um, trading Alex Verdugo would make this roster a lot more uh, palatable. Like, if you were to move Verdugo for either, like, a true shortstop or a true center fielder, this lineup would make a hell of a lot more sense. Yep. He is 13th. I was going to make the point that he's uh, 13th percentile, and now it's above average in right field. He's a left fielder. Yeah. And they haven't been able to find 
a right fielder to go with him, so he's kind of by default had to play right. And I just I don't think he's a right fielder, but I don't know. No. You're just creating more problems if you move him somewhere else, right? That again, these puzzle pieces don't fit. It doesn't make sense in my head. So I don't think he's a right fielder, but you say who should you play in right? Okay, well if you move Duvall over there, okay, well who are we're gonna move Verdugo to left? Nope, Yoshida's there. Okay, Yoshida DH. Nope, Turner's there. Everything's blocked. So right. that is where, and when we were going through a lot of these trades, it's like Verdugo and Hulk made the most sense of major league experience players that they might might make sense to move for another major league player, right? You know, for the teams that didn't want just prospect trades, which there seems to be less and less of. They either want a AAA prospect or a major league player with experience, right? Um, you know, we talked about that with the Diamondbacks. Uh, Verdugo wouldn't have fit with the Diamondbacks because they had too many left-handed outfielders, but left-handed hitting outfielders, I should say. The puzzle so, pieces not fitting together is exactly how you get Arroyo breaking his leg at first base. I know. And I don't want to do that again. Yeah, it's not a well-constructed roster in many ways. Um, certainly, Certainly less than ideal. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We should probably move on from from the roster to uh, the potentially overcrowded uh, starting rotation, and it's not like uh, we're we're saying here that this rotation is overcrowded with uh, so many all stars that we just uh, just can't contain it. But you know, here here's what we have uh, in in the rotation right now, and somebody's going to end up being the odd man out because the Red Sox have been pretty vocal about saying that they are not willing to go with a, uh, a six-man rotation. So um, here's how the rotation looks right now. Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, um, James Paxton, Garrett Whitlock, Brian Bayo, and then Nick Pavetta is also in there. That's six guys. One of those guys has to be out. Sale's not going to be out. Kluber's not going to be out. Paxton... Cora was very vocal, and uh, Bloom was vocal as well about not wanting to change his role up since he's 34 and coming off injury. So it seems like Paxton, if he's healthy, is going to be in there. They seem adamant about having Whitlock in there. And Bayo, you could argue, is their second best pitcher right now on the whole staff. So where do they go from here? But Nick Pavetta is the only guy who's pitched a significant amount of innings over the last couple of years in this ridiculously uh, injury-prone rotation. So, uh, Keaton, where would you go 
if you had to put five of these guys in the rotation? Well, first, I just want to correct you because if this was 2017, this rotation is chock full of all stars. <laughs> but it including is not. Bale. <laughs> yeah, including Bale. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I have uh, never been a Nick Pavetta fan, as you know. Uh, so I would give him the boot, and I would put Bayo in there. However, that's not what's going to happen. Pavetta's going to be there, and Bayo's going to be in the minors. That's how it's going to start. Oh. And then as soon as someone gets hurt, then Bayo will pop up. But the good news is, given this rotation, probably not going to take very long. Wow. See, I don't think there's any chance that happens. I I think it's going to be Pavetta kicked to the pen and Cutter Crawford in the minors. I would love that. If everyone's healthy, that's the answer. But everyone isn't going to be healthy. So we can do <laughs> this true. exercise with everybody healthy. But it's not going to happen. So my answer is Paxton. And I know that they're adamant that he's going to start. Heard Bloom saying that on Catillo's podcast last week. You know, we, we he's coming off of numerous injuries. We don't want to change his role. Um, he hasn't pitched since 2019 for numerous forearm injuries before and after Tommy John. I just I have no confidence that he is going to be fresh with his arm built up to throw five or six innings the first time through the rotation the first week of April. If that happens, I'll be stunned. So I'm going to pick Paxton because I refuse to believe that this will be a fully healthy rotation. And I just, like you said, with Bayo might be their second or third best starter. I I don't think that they can. If he looks good in the in spring training, I don't see how they can send him down. A quick clarifying question. Is it Tommy John's or Tommy's John? <laughs> Johnson. <laughs> I think we should go with Tommy's Johnson. All right. Deal. <laughs> I would uh, be fine referring to that surgery in that sense for the duration of this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. So, just to clarify, even though I think Pavetta's the guy who's going to be kicked from the rotation, I still think Pavetta's going to pitch over 150 innings this year because of everything you guys said. Like, my my faith that Sale, Kluber, Paxton, and Whitlock stay healthy is, I mean, it's incredibly low. It's, it's lower than my faith of... Uh, Congress reaching across the aisle and getting you know, reasonable legislation passed. It's just, it's not going to happen. No. I don't trust Sale to go grocery shopping for me. <laughs> so. I mean, not on his bike. Maybe if he's, right. you know, Ubered there. Perhaps. He could get stuff off the really high uh, aisles. Instacart, though, like, man. Instacart. The, the, the top. He's got the reach. <laughs> True. Like that last can of rice-a-roni, he's going to be able to get up there. Yeah, that's true. I'll give him that. Doesn't it come in a box? Yeah, I don't know. I don't eat rice-a-roni. <laughs> it's the San Francisco treat, man. It is. It has a cable car on it. I know that to be true. I, I'm saving my one uh, remaining point for the last article for the, the risk in this rotation along with the, the lineup. So, 
Okay. Um, We're saving our bullets. Saving one bullet. So just to recap here, I think Pavetta's going to be out. You think Paxton's going to be out. And you think Bayo's going to be out. Keaton. I do. Yeah. Okay. I hate the Bayo thing. Me um, too. A lot. So I really hope that you're wrong. Me too. <laughs> All right, let's move on from this. Uh, Matt Barnes and Franklin German or Hermann. I'll never have to know the difference again. Uh, we're, we're both recently traded after being DFA'd. Uh, Barnes was traded for Richard Blyer, and uh, Franklin Hermann was traded for Theo Denlinger. Um, you know, Blyer's a guy who's been in the majors for quite some time. He's kind of a soft-throwing lefty, throws a whole lot of strikes, um, he's a pretty good player, uh, honestly. I, I like the pickup there. Uh, always been pretty effective. Career 306 uh, ERA, and it turns out the money is pretty much equal on those guys. So, you know, they get their second lefty in the pen. Um, the other guy is a minor leaguer who has a little bit more control uh, than Franklin Herman and, and a guy that you don't have to make a roster decision on. This is a tweet from Ian Cundell when this went down. It says, uh, Red Sox announced they acquired right-handed pitcher Theo Denlinger from Chicago White Sox. Uh, he's 6'3", 255, was drafted in the seventh round in 2021. Um, in high A and double A, he pitched 48 and a third innings to a 4.47 ERA, 1.32 whip, 66 strikeouts to 21 walks. He's also a blacksmith and has a workshop with a forge outside of his house so i already like him more than i liked franklin herman so that that seems like a net positive there but um what what did you guys think about these two moves let's go ahead and start with you keaton i was unaware of the forge that's impressive yeah intimidating um i mean i was fine seeing Matt Barnes go. Uh, it's just kind of weird, you know. Immediately after him being handed, uh, what was it, five-year extension, um, he fell apart. And a year later, essentially, a year and like a month. Uh, I think it was a three-year extension. Well, or, um, well I mean, whatever. Two with an year extension. But, yeah. Um, him just completely falling apart missing the end of the, the season in uh, 2021 and then not really being able to find his form again in 2022 at all. Uh, missing a lot of it due to injury. And then there he goes. Um, what it does confuse me on was, I mean, I know their you know, rosters evolve as we go. Um, but it kind of makes me question if one and or both of these moves couldn't have happened prior to the Rule 5 draft, and perhaps there was a chance to retain another player or two that you may have wanted to give another year to see how they developed on your team, and, uh, Rather than making these moves, I just, I don't know. It just seems confusing, kind of taking the offseason as a whole. But I also understand that at the time, 
perhaps they saw Matt Barnes as a key piece of the bullpen, and then as the roster evolved, they're like, hey, you know what? We can cut this guy loose. But just as a whole, just continue to make me kind of confused. Yeah, I, I was confused in a different way. Um, you know, the thing that confused me a little bit is, um, you know, going back to the conversations we were having last year, Keaton, as we as we moved into the season, when we were looking at the 2022 projected bullpen, um, especially I remember when they acquired Jake Diekman, um, we were like, we already have Jake Diekman. He's, he's uh, Matt Barnes. You know, I remember that being like a direct quote from us and and being confused as to why they were building this bullpen that was high strikeout, very high walk, you know, lots of control problems sort of across the board. Um, And, you know, predictably, the bullpen sucked in 2022. It was brutal. Um, But now there seems to have been this like total sea change from... um, from Bloom into how he's constructing the bullpen. He's got guys like Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, John Schreiber, um, you know, Richard Blyer, um, you know, Tanner Houck, even to some degree, a lot of guys who just do not walk guys. Um, and, and clearly there's been a philosophy change there. And I'm just like, I'm a little curious for a guy, Heim Bloom, who seems to, have pretty strong convictions or at least likes us to believe that he has strong convictions like how do you change your whole philosophy on building the bullpen in the course of one year to you know not wanting guys that hurt themselves um you know it it just seems like too too drastic of a change even the idea of hanging on to ryan brazier at the expense that they have because you know he he didn't walk a whole lot of guys and didn't hurt himself too too much uh, last year and the expected numbers were better so really if you look at this bullpen it's it's a lot of guys who induce weak contact and don't walk people. I'll tell you Both what we do it, Jake. Three straight years leading the American League in blown saves. It all feels very reactive, right? Like. They felt reactive in free agency a year ago. Felt reactive in free agency this year. Um, your point, Keaton, with the 40-man, it's like there wasn't a plan. Like they couldn't figure out how many guys they needed to keep and how many they were signing and then who they would have to cut. It feels like they're just like, oh, we got 41 now. Uh, cut Barnes. Like the, the, it, There's no planning. Ryan goddamn Brazier survives. And, and Brazier survives, which... Round. I know. I can't I can't do the Brazier thing again right now. There's no reason <laughs> for him to be here in in my mind. I'm great his projections are something in September, but I mean Matt Barnes from August 4th on he had a 1.59 ERA, 1.24 whip and a 20 to 9 K to walk in 22 and two thirds innings. So he had a bunch of saves down the stretch after Hulk got hurt. I mean, he started to pitch with confidence he wasn't great he's one of their eight best relievers um you're paying him eight million you needed to spend april and may to see whether the guy that ended the season is the guy that is starting the season and you can cut loose if it's not working in may he deserved a shot to see whether some of that had come back late in the season and he had been so overused and kind of had a you could see a shift with the sticky stuff 
the year before that, after that, you know, whether it was that or the overuse, but he kind of got it back together late in the season. And, um, you know, I, I, I do think that they hung on to some relievers like Ort and Zach Kelly and, um, what is it? Wyatt, um, Wyatt Olds. It's not him though. It's the, is it Mills? Oh, Wyatt Mills. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking of the, uh, (laughs) the, 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 minor leaguer yeah so I, and chad jennings made a good point that you know this might have been from when they let let go of springs a couple of years ago that he really popped in their models and they ended up trading him to tampa and now he's one of their better starters you know that i think that those minor leaguers all look really good in their models and that they didn't want to let somebody go there which doesn't explain the brazier thing but um you know they they, they like some of those minor league pitchers that they wanted to keep on the 40 but again it just feels like they don't think about who they're going to cut until it happens. It's bizarre to me they've hung on to Caleb Bort this whole time, too. Because he just didn't look good in his limited uh, outings. And, and I'm not going to lie. like I don't really care that Matt Barnes is gone. I'm totally fine with this. I like Richard Blyer a lot more for this roster. Um, and I kind of commend that trade. And honestly, this is the type of bullpen that I like. Is a bullpen that limits hard contact and limits walks, and you know isn't gonna give the game up. Um, I think this bullpen's pretty good, but it's how we got here. It's the process of it that I just can't kind of wrap my head around. Because you know, you guys have done a good a good job explaining some of the haphazardness and how this bullpen was constructed and you know i i outlined the drastic change in the type of guys that they've been targeting so you know i'm happy with the the result but i'm it's like it's like when you're 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 doing math in high school and your teacher's like show me your work how'd you get here and you're just like well here's the answer and it's like okay yeah i like the answer but like but where's matt barnes yeah (laughs) show me how you got here buddy you know it's just it's weird um, Caleb Ort, if you trust stuff plus metrics for Eno Saris, is a 123.5 stuff number. So they must have something similar that says he has good stuff and that they're afraid to let him go and for that to catch on somewhere else. Like he has top 50 stuff with decent enough control. Now that stuff got his ass kicked last year, um, but there must be something that they're seeing there in those type of advanced models. Well, maybe you're right, man. I don't know. If you feel like dorking out, that's all I'm saying. Keaton, you got any uh, closing thoughts on the bullpen here? Overall, I like it. All right. (laughs) right. Good enough for me. I like it, too. All right, the main event here tonight, or one of the main events, uh, I think is this great Chad Jennings and Eno Saris article that we've been sort of referencing, and it's about the volatility of the Red Sox uh, roster here. And essentially um, what uh, Eno and, and Jennings looked at was the amount of volatile hitters on the roster. Uh, the Red Sox lead the majors with 30 such volatile hitters. Um, and volatility is measured between what their 80th percentile projected outcome in OPS plus is and what their 20th percentile projection in OPS plus is. 
Um, you know, 100th percentile projection would be the best possible outcome. Uh, zero percentile would be the worst possible outcome or one percentile or something like that. Um, so 20% would be bad, 80% would be good. Uh, the Red Sox are just really uh, leading the way with some pretty ridiculous differentials between um, most of their hitters, uh, 80th and 20th percentile projections. The average gap between those two numbers, uh, according to Eno Saris, is 38 points uh, in OPS Plus, and the Red Sox have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 hitters. Uh, on their team with a gap that is larger than 38 points uh, between those two. Um, so just a tremendous amount of volatility here. And Bob, I know you have some thoughts on the volatility of this roster, so I'm going to send it over to you to kind of uh, explain how how we're getting here with some of these things. Yeah, and so obviously the this article is great. And it kind of spells all of that out. Like you said, 80%, 20%. And my thought the whole time has been there is just so much. This is so just variable and the outcomes are all over the place of what it could be, but it comes back to injuries more than anything. So I just started going through recent injuries, like not just any injuries, but recent injuries. So starting the rotation, which is a continuation of what we were just talking about, right? You've got Chris Sale leading the way with post uh, Tommy's Johnson, Fractured finger, fractured wrist, um, James Paxton, who's had numerous forearm injuries before and after the surgery, hasn't really pitched at all since 2019. You've got Whitlock with 53 days that he was out with a hip impingement that I believe he had some sort of procedure after the season. You've got Bayo, who is just beyond, he's basically a rookie, right? Just beyond the 50 innings threshold last year in MLB. You know, he just had a minor groin issue, so I won't count him as an injury risk, but he's got the risk of essentially being a rookie. He's 23 years old. Corey Kluber was missed, missed 63 days in the short 2020 season, so 63 days in a 60-game season would be the whole season. Uh, 97 days with a shoulder in 2021, so two back-to-back shoulder injuries. He was healthy in 22. Uh, Tanner Houck had back surgery to end the season, so that just leaves... Nick Pavetta in the rotation, as we said earlier, that is not an injury risk or a rookie. Um, we know what's going on with Trevor Story, who had a, a modified Tommy's Johnson. Uh, Kike Hernandez missed 72 games last year, which was, was labeled a hip flexor injury, but was actually a hematoma that he had in his core that they couldn't figure out for a long time, and he feels a lot better now after that, but he missed 72 uh, days last year. Tristan Cass has had high ankle um, sprain in the minors last year that missed more than a month, and then he had knee pain in the Arizona Fall League, so I don't feel great about his huge body already having two uh, lower body injuries. Um, I think that was in the DSL for him, uh, okay. not the AFL, but Thank yeah, you. Same, same difference. He's yep. always got something. Exactly. I appreciate that. Um, Mondesi, where do we start? 2018, 33 games, days with a shoulder impingement. In 1961, with a groin. In 21, 140 days with an oblique hamstring and then an oblique again. And in 22, 166 days with a torn ACL. Christian Arroyo, in 21, he missed 91 days, the knee contusion and COVID. Uh, 22, in 2022, he missed 32 days with a strained groin. Um, Yoshida, we don't know a whole lot about. 
he's I, I feel like there's some volatility in a player who has never played a game over here. Uh, Adam Duvall missed 77 games last year with left wrist surgery. Uh, Justin Turner is 38 years old. And Reese McGuire can't keep his hands out of his pants. So when you add all of that up, I just feel like that's, what did I name, 14, 15 players that are, you know, if you include Story, should be involved in the second half of the season. Um, just looking at that before any projection models has made me think best case scenario. They're looking for the 80-90% outcome for everybody, and that is a lot to ask. Yeah, you named everybody except for the bullpen, which right. is the only thing we can all agree that we <laughs> we all we like. like. <laughs> um, what's the thing that Reese has? I'm can concerned about this disease that he has where he can't keep his hands out of his pants what what i've been is, trying to investigate diagnose i i have uh i've been out in the field trying to investigate this <laughs> asking questions you've been um, at every family dollar around uh, I have. dollar tree or whatever it was right and i mean um, he can yank it at the plate but uh, no absolutely so I'm, I'm gonna get to the bottom of that and i'm hoping two weeks from now um, <laughs> i can tell you more it's like um it's like O.J. Simpson looking for the real killers. It'll be a similar <laughs> investigation. Bob, are you, are you trying to tell us that you've been doing some hands-on research? <laughs> uh, well done. That was a clap. Sorry. I was going to say, what the fuck was that, Bob? <laughs> that was me applauding your joke, but it could have been. Well-timed, well-timed. All right, that's enough. Um... But yeah, I mean, all these all these things that you said are extremely true, um, Keaton. I mean, looking at this list of, of dudes, um, and especially like you know, looking at Rob Ref Snyder, like his 80th percentile OPS plus is 125. His 20th percentile, like you were talking about before, like most of his career, 86 OPS plus. You know, so there's just so many of these dudes who as as Bob said, we are really expecting, or at least we need them, to perform at their 80th percentile projection or better for this team to sort of stay afloat. So, I mean, it's we're not making this up. This is the most volatile team, perhaps, in the league. Yeah. I mean, lack of depth, injury concerns, it's all... The stuff that we see in this roster coming into this season and it's just now it's good to have you know some some tangible numbers that also agree with that so that we're all kind of like on the same page here one thing that is also really hilarious to look at with this is you mentioned the like the nine hitters where that have the ops difference above the 38 um Rafael Devers is on that list, which seems a little unfair because his 20th percentile is still well above average. <laughs> he's at 39 different, right? And you said that it's 38 yes. the average. Yeah, he, he's and like right on the border. His 20th percentile yeah. is 115. Yeah. Which is which means that his 80th is like um, MVP caliber. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's just <laughs> stupid. So we'll leave him out. Yeah, even if you leave him out, there's nine guys on the list. But yeah, I think yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's it's Rafael funny to see him good there. Good at baseball, confirmed. 
Yeah, and, and to 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 your point, everybody else is like a dark shade of red when they perform to their twentieth OPS, and his is like a nice sage green. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when um before the season, when Hyam Bloom said that they were gonna sign seven, eight, maybe even nine players, this is what we were afraid of. You know, him shopping at the Family Dollar. Yeah, <laughs> him and Reese <laughs> McGuire um, heading to the Family Dollar, and. But this volatility and shopping for short years and hoping for the high outcome, and you can do that with a few, I don't think you can do that with an entire team. And it's almost the entire team outside of the bullpen. Yeah, and to make matters worse, um, I think the rotation is actually being undersold for how risky it is. Uh, They also looked at starting pitcher injury percentile, and the Red Sox ranked, uh, what was it, seventh uh, among all teams in the leagues. So, you know, still obviously high. They're in the top seven. But um, I find their rotation much more risky and to have far less upside than the rotations ahead of them. The rotations ahead of them for injury percentile are the Mets, which is one of the best rotations, the Giants, who have a better rotation, the Yankees, who have a much better rotation, the Rays, who have a better rotation, the Reds, who do, definitely do not, uh, but then the Cardinals lead the way. Um, so, I mean, I honestly think that I could make the argument that they have maybe the second riskiest staff uh, out of all of the staffs that there is, and it's not like the Reds are expecting their staff to perform well. Um I don't know. I actually worry about their pitching more than I worry about their hitting, and I worry about their hitting a lot. I agree. <laughs> I, I I look at the pitching and I'm afraid that four of them are going to be out in May, and I think that's why they're stretching Tanner Houck out. You know, you say, "Well, why are they doing that?" Because there could easily be two injuries before opening day. There could be one injury before the first spring training game. Um, that's why Houck's being stretched out as the seventh starter in case two of these guys get hurt. At least that's what I think. I mean, would you be shocked if it, at like June or May, at least three out of the five guys that end up starting the year in the rotation are not in the rotation anymore? No. no. I'd say it's a coin flip. I, I do think there's a ceiling. There, there, there's a, a solid, you know, Chris Sale throws 140, 150. Bayo is who I think he can be. Whitlock is who I think he can be. Um, you know, Pavetta's a four or a five. And Kluber, right? Kluber stayed healthy all of last year. He can stay healthy and make 30 starts. The ceiling could be really good. And I, I, I think that's important to point out. Like, if, if they do stay, even if four of them stay healthy um you know you have seemingly an ace and a couple you know maybe three threes right and and i think whitlock whitlock is definitely a huge x factor in the whole thing and he had the 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 hip injury last year but i really i hope that i'm a year too late because i had him as the breakout last year and the hip thing threw a wrench into that but if that is healed and he's feeling strong um, you know, I think this year might be the breakout, and it's a post-hype kind of thing. 
What you're talking about, though, is exactly the point of this article. Yes. With such a wide range of outcomes, what is the actual chance that they all hit even an 80% of what their potential could be? Well, you're the math guy, Keaton. I mean, give us a give us a potential here. It's it's with all this volatility, it has to be relatively low that this team hits its absolute ceiling, right? It is quite low. Yeah. 2013 is a lazy comparison. Oh, completely. Because that I feel like if I was on a podcast in 2013, I'd have the same tone. Yeah, but I mean, David Ortiz was in the the middle of that. Yeah, that's true. You know, but that's the thing. Like, let's let's talk about realistic floors and ceiling for this team right now, because my worry is that this team's ceiling is limited by its volatility, but its floor has nearly no limits. Uh, with the sheer amount of volatility well, on this it. team, yeah, it's just like this. This team could literally, if it if it faces a tremendous amount of injuries, like it could win sixty games. I'm I'm not putting that past them. Oh, um, I agree. I just there is a lot of lot of volatility here. But like, where do you guys see the absolute ceiling of this team in terms of win total? See, I think the floor is last year. I think everything went wrong last year. Oh, I disagree. You think it could be worse? I think it could be worse because I think this lineup's much worse. Yeah, I agree. They were using a staff of all rookies for a couple months. Like July, they they had five fill-ins. But they also I don't had... think it could be 60 games, but I think it could be 70. Okay, yeah. that's sixty. Sixty is a lot. huge difference. Sixty yeah. and one hundred and two would be catastrophically bad. I could see yeah. seventy. I think seventy is the floor. I agree with that. The ceiling. I mean, we're talking best case scenario, right? Yeah. Ceiling is if everything works out for all of those guys, they could win ninety four games. I don't. I don't see why not. If if we went down the line and said this player did that, sail through one hundred and fifty innings. Whitlock threw 140 innings. Bayo took the next step. Kluber was healthy the whole year. Um, Paxton or Pavetta is your five. You have a great bullpen. Turner hits well. Yoshida is getting on base. Like you go down the line, that could fall. Like Kike has the season he had two years ago. Devers is an MVP candidate. You make a trade at the deadline. That team can win 94 games if every single one of those things happen. Trevor Story comes back on July 4th. It'd be a huge boost. Wearing an America cut-off tank. <laughs> Give him credit. He showed up at the uh, when everyone was getting booed a couple weeks ago. He did. Like three he days did after story, he showed up, and yeah. he didn't need to be there. That's true. That is true. What's um, the ceiling? I, I mean, I was going to say 92, so yeah. I'm, I'm not far off. I was going to say 92, and then 70 is a floor. Yeah, I'm. We're lockstep, Keaton. I'm 92 and 70 as well, realistically. Um, but I think that there's. I would say that you know, there is a higher percentage chance that they get closer to the floor, than they get closer to the ceiling with this roster. Yes. So we all agree. 
I was two games higher on my ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's your floor? Do you think you is your floor is your floor seventy eight or are you no, with us that seventy? When, is when you said sixty, I was gonna say I think that you should bring the floor to seventy because <laughs> okay, <laughs> and then you okay. did, so I backed off. Yeah. Well, you know, I always like to throw a little hyperbole in there. Um, all right. So realistically at this point, if you had to guess if I, you know, laser beam, John Morant laser beam to your head right now. Um, what, what's your prediction for a win total at this point, knowing that things could change? Let's start with you, Keaton. I mean, immediate reaction when you went to me was 84. That's wow. a good number. It's a real good number. Mine's 80. Oh, man. I was going to say 83, so... All right, so the floor is 70. My ceiling was 94. The middle is 82. It's more likely that they're at the floor than the ceiling. That's how I landed on 80. The ceiling is the roof. <laughs> let's go to questions. All right. Yeah, let's move on. Um, all right. First question here comes from uh, T. Case. Case is loaded. What's up, my friend? He says, what's up, gents? If you could only drink one beverage for the rest of your life, what would it be? And also, how are we feeling about Adam Duvall? Give me an over-under for homers. Uh, Keaton, what's your bevy? Green tea. Uh, unsweetened or sweetened? Unsweetened. Oh, that's a good, good choice. Uh, how, how about you, Bob? Uh, as long as I can stay hydrated to go with it, it's coffee. Oof, that's a good choice, too. But that's water all day and, well, and some beers. But That's a bold choice, though, for uh, your, your one... Your one beverage being coffee. Yeah, well, I need to stay awake. There's too much <laughs> bullshit in my life. That's right. Um, mine is uh, oolong tea, um, so slightly different than green tea. But I'm a, also a huge unsweetened iced tea fan. Um, so being able to have the versatility to drink it cold or drink it hot, yeah. uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of that. So we're we're pretty much lockstep there, Keaton. Um, what about uh, Duval homers? What do you got for me, Bob? 22. Keaton? 24. All right. I will go... 26. Be the high guy here. All right. Next question comes from Cody Hudman, and he says... Since the Sox have pretty much ruled out a six-man rotation, what do we think is the most likely rotation, assuming everyone's healthy? Uh, we already went through that rotation that we would prefer if it's different than what you expect. Um, Keaton, you expect that Bayo is out of that rotation to begin the year. What do you prefer? Who would be your preferred man out? Is it, is it Pavetta? Yeah, Pavetta to the pen, Bayo to the rotation. Bob, do you have any changes to yours? No, that's right, Pavetta. But okay, so we he, all want throw... it to be Pavetta. Yes, if those okay. five guys are all healthy, you guys can come up with something, some sort of prank to do to me at the end of the season. That <laughs> if they make all 162 starts, I think Pavetta, even if he was the odd man out to start, would still throw 140 innings. 
Fair enough. Uh, TJ McPhee has our next two questions and our last two questions. He says, lots of Casas hype lately, and we need him to protect Devers. However, Casas' minor league OPS versus left-handed pitching in 2021 and 2022 was just 619. Do we see his weakness being exposed over a full season in the majors? I mean, I, I was definitely concerned about it enough to leave him off of my lineup versus lefties. Um, where do you guys fall on Casas? I know, Bob, you said that you think he's going to get at least half of the reps versus lefties. When all said and done, yeah, I think that they are going to give him a shot. I, I think that he will play against most lefties um, early in the season and see if he can handle it. Um, I know <sighs> prior to 2022, it was not as drastic. It was drastic in the minors. Um, and then in limited sample, he had, I think, you know, no power, but a higher OBP against lefties. So he had good at bats, but the risk is there. There's no question. I think he showed some good at bats against lefties, got on base a little bit. If he can do that and just not, um, you know, have a 600 OPS against lefties, if he can get on base, even if the power isn't there and his glove is good, then I think they'll keep him in the lineup. What do you think, Keats? Yeah, I think he should be given the chance to basically get as many at-bats as possible. Here's the thing. Uh, he is 23, 24. He's still developing. So I don't – well, um, obviously what he did in 2021 and 2022 in the minors is a, is a decent enough sample size. He's still developing his skills as a hitter. Um, so I don't think he's locked into – uh, you know that ability against left-handed hitting either way. So, I think if you start platooning him now, you're hampering his ability to develop as a hitter against left-handed pitching. So you have to give him the chances to see it in order to develop against it. And if yep. you really believe that he is a top prospect and he can get better, he's got to see it in order to get better. So yeah, I mean at least for sure right now he's got to see see it and get a ton of at bats against it. So. If you are committed to him as a key player of your roster here going forward, then, yeah, you need to be able to give him a chance to develop. Yeah, I think that because I don't view them as a playoff team as currently constructed, that as the year goes on, he will get more run uh, against left-handed pitching. Um, I think to start the year, they might be a little bit more protective of him uh, versus lefties. But... um. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you guys said. I, I definitely have been frustrated in the past by teams sort of protecting their players too much and not letting them get those reps. So hope the Red Sox don't make that mistake with Casas. And his second question says, What are your opinions about the progression of the Sox farm system in the wake of Keith Law's much-publicized low ranking? I think he had them 21st in his recent ranking. Um, does the organization as a whole have as much talent now as it did the day Bloom took over? So this feels like a question that almost warrants its own pod, and I thought about actually including this on today's pod, but I think that we probably need to save this question, TJ, and do a bigger thing about it in the upcoming weeks. Love that. But All right. Keith Law is still an asshole. 
<laughs> and his uh, smiles are very obnoxious. On uh, I, I don't know if you guys watched the uh, the MLB's top ten right now. He was on one of those episodes, and he was just really tough to watch on that. So yeah, like yeah. he went too drastic there. You know, I points are well taken, but they're not twenty first or twenty third. Yeah, we'll save that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as always, follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at Dev Jake. You can follow Bob at Bob Osgood fifteen, and you can email the Red Seat Podcast at Red Seat Podcast at Gmail dot com. If you have any questions, or you just want to send us a manifesto, or you know anything. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Check us out on overthemonster.com and we'll be in your ears in a couple of weeks. <laughs>